You're listening to the Down the Pub podcast, Canada's premier football show. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Hello, football friends, or should I say, football friends. Welcome to this episode of the Down the Pub podcast. Uh, what an incredible week it's been since the last episode. Uh, we had a crazy transfer window. Uh, Ronaldo's back in Manchester United. Ronaldo should have been sent off against Ireland in our defeat to Portugal. Canada had their first game in the uh, octagon. Uh, the Wanderers still can't buy a win. So yeah, it's been a crazy, crazy old week. So on this episode, I'm joined by former Irish international Kira McCormick. Um, Kira is an amazing, amazing, amazing person, and I can't wait for you to hear the interview. Um, as always, you can follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Down the Pub Pod. Um, also, this Sunday. It's uh, the US-Canada in qualification, so the Voyagers in the city of Halifax, if you're based in Halifax, are having a get-together at the Lion's Head pub, um, upstairs I believe it is, starting at 8.30, um, so that should be a lot of fun to, to get out there and um, see Canada, hopefully, beat the US, because I think they, they owe them one, so yeah, um, so make sure to, to head over there if you want to hang out with some fellow football friends, and yeah, uh, I really appreciate all the support the show's been getting, um, it's been a crazy time having two new kids, so I've been trying to keep pushing some content out, it's not always been the easiest, and then my mum and dad caught COVID, so that didn't help, and thank God they're okay now, so yeah, so all the messages of support, it's been fantastic, I really do appreciate it, and if you take the time of your day to listen to me waffle on, um, I really do appreciate it, so yeah, so that's enough of me talking nonsense, so don't forget, Sunday, 8.30, Lions Head, Voyagers, Football, Garrett Wheeler, um, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a good time. So yeah, um, on with the show. So uh, welcome to this episode of the Down the Pool Podcast. Uh, we are joined by former. Irish international uh, Kira McCormick. Uh, Kira's career has taken her to Denmark, Norway, the States, and Australia. Did I get everything? Yeah, and and obviously Ireland. Since yes, I'm... true, very true. Um, so yeah, so thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited. Um, it's I haven't had too many Irish internationals, and the fact that you're in, basically uh, you're from Canada too is kind of nice. So um, so. It must be amazing to get to play in all of these countries. Uh, is traveling something you've always wanted to do or was it just opportunities that came up that you just decided to play abroad? Um, I think, yeah, like I actually found, uh, I was just going through my old things and I found like a list of goals I made when I was in grade eight. <laughs> um, and one of them was to speak five languages. I don't know, like, yeah, I wasn't very good at like math and science in school. I was better at languages anyway. So I don't know if I recognize that as uh, when I was 13, but yeah, I think I've always, um, yeah, I've, I went to Peru when I was 15 by myself. My best friend moved there um, and my parents somehow allowed me to oh, wow. use, my, use my newspaper delivery girl money and fly to Peru. So I think from a young age, and obviously we go back to Ireland and visit my family like every couple of summers. So um, yeah, I think I always wanted to like the thought of traveling and living abroad was something I think from a young age, I was always sort of keen on and um, yeah, kind of manifested itself through soccer as I got older. So the five languages, how did you do? Obviously, like Irish, you're fluent in, I suppose, right? Uh. <laughs> um, actually, funny enough, I uh, I learned Danish and Norwegian when I played over there. Um, and then uh, French and Spanish I took in school for forever. Um, I wouldn't call myself fluent in them, but probably if I was there for a little while. So, yeah, actually, I guess. Wow. I could I could probably hang in five languages. I mean, I love it. That's amazing. Well, unfortunately, I just know one, so we're stuck doing this in English. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so like playing in the different leagues, like how do the leagues compare? 
abroad in terms of professionalism and setup compared to what you had in Canada and Vancouver and, and Ottawa? Um, so I went to Europe right out of uh, university in the US. So I think, I mean, still, even in the US, I think it's a level of professionalism in terms of like, you know, really beautiful fields and like, you know, weight training coaches and physio and, um, you know, free gear and all that kind of stuff. So I think coming out of the States, going to Europe, it almost, and I mean, to be honest, I went over in 2002 to Fortuna Yoring, which is probably one of the pioneer women's pro clubs. Um, so I would say for that period of time, like it was, I was probably in as professional situation as any club team in the world, really like, uh, WUSA was like the first iteration of the women's pro league at the time. And that maybe, I think that folded in 2003. So yeah, I would say at that point, like, um, I think U S college soccer was probably, I would say across the board, the highest level of professionalism in terms of just like things that you were given. And, um, but yeah, no, I, I think, yeah, playing abroad, I, I definitely, it differed for sure from country to country. Um, but I would say, Again, comparative to how women's soccer was back then, I was probably on the luckier end um, just in terms of, you know, being able to full time focus on playing soccer and not having to worry about anything else. Oh, nice. <laughs> so obviously, uh, when you were in Europe, you had to play in the you're part of the squad for the, the Champions League final. Um, yeah. So what was that experience like? It was it had only started a couple of years prior to that, I think. So it was still fairly new and it was like over two legs. But like, how was that whole experience for you? It was amazing. Like, I can't believe how lucky I was um, just in terms of falling into that situation. Um, I actually coming out of university wanted to play in Norway, but the league was like a calendar year league. So it went from February to November. And so I was coming out of university in the summer. So basically I had had a coach that had a connection. He had sent his team to Dana cup, which is the big turn like youth tournament that Fortuna Yoring runs, which sort of funded the team. Um, so anyways, basically it was just me literally thinking, oh, I'll just use it as a filler before the Norwegian league opens for transfer. And then I end up on this team that's like ridiculously talented. Like I was, uh, yeah, there was four of us that were probably, there was like a huge gap between us and the rest of the team from an age perspective. So there was like four of us that were like late teens, early twenties. And then the rest of the team were like late twenties, early thirties. Um, and they were all like, you know, they just come off of playing, you know, at the Rose Bowl with Denmark at the World Cup, or we had the captain of Australia um, and another Australian national team player from the Sydney Olympics. So, you know, and I was just this wow. little fresh, fresh faced kid out of <laughs> Canada that somehow, you know, landed in. And actually, when I left to go over there, I always laughed because I remember specifically like not bringing very much with me because like I just didn't want to be that person that showed up with like five bags and then like had to turn around and go home the next week. So, I was, I didn't even know what to expect. I didn't even, I was just, I didn't even know if I'd make the team. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm one of 14 or 15 players that are on this like wild run through champions. Like, so we went to Belarus um, and played there, which was like unreal experience. Just, I mean, yeah. Like actually the one thing I remember from Belarus is just like, nobody smiled <laughs> and, and, like, and it was like late, it was late September when we went there. And so like the heat didn't get turned on until early October. And it was my birthday, the end of September. And it's my birthday present. My friend gave me like the extra blanket cover. For that oh day. my God. It was wild. It was really, really wild. And then, um, and then we played, and the top Norwegian team and we beat them. And then we went to London in, in the April, in April, 2003 and played Arsenal. And that was again, like a huge experience where like I have family that lives in London. So like people, my family came and, but again, sort of like of the times, you know, where women's soccer were like, we were playing, uh, we were practicing like in our pre-match um, at like the Arsenal practice field. And we were um, changing in like a trailer that like literally overlooked the car park of like the Arsenal men. <laughs> oh my God. So it was kind of like a fitting <laughs> picture of like what it was then we're in the champions league semifinal, like crouching and like trying not to be seen changing in like windows overseeing oh my God. Like, Bentleys and Land Rovers and stuff. Um, yeah. And then we played in the final, we got like crushed in the final. Um, but yeah, it was, it was amazing. Like I, yeah, beyond my absolute wildest dreams, like my first year playing professional. So yeah, it was really cool. That, that's incredible. The fact that you called it filler. 
<laughs> it's like it's just so so amazing. Just just like just like oh you know just just hung out with the Champions League final. Went back home. I know, wasn't just, planning but... it, and I definitely like after a week there was like you know trying not to get autographs from my teammates. Like I was so starstruck by like yeah it was it was honestly again when I look back like such an amazing opportunity really that I feel like launched my whole you know, playing career really, because I kind of got an opportunity that most Canadian players, I mean, I was only, I think I was only the fourth Canadian that ever signed overseas professionally female. Um, and then obviously I was a, like the first one, it was only the second year of champions league. So I was only, yeah. And actually I think till Kadisha Buchanan made the final with Leon in the last couple of years, I was the only Canadian that made the champions league final. So wow. yeah. So it was a pretty, <clears throat> There's a, I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was, it was unreal. And it was <laughs> definitely like, I was, you know, just along for the ride and had some unbelievable <laughs> teammates that were like carrying the team. So it was super cool. Yeah. That, that's incredible. Um, So uh, like, as, as we mentioned there, like uh, you've got family in Ireland and you played for the Irish national team. So how was your experience then with, with Ireland? Cause like, obviously <clears throat> there was the big scandal thing a couple of years ago where um the, the women had to, give back their track suits after, which is horrendous and all that kind of stuff. So what was your experience like when you were there? Cause obviously you were there uh, 10 years ago or whatever. So what was it like for you? Um, well, it's actually, it's quite funny because obviously the whole scandal that's come out in the last few years about the Canadian soccer setup back like in 2008, right before I left. So I was coming from a pretty toxic situation. So for <laughs> okay. me, like I was definitely one of the ones changing in, you know, the Amsterdam airport into my Ireland tracksuit and like trying to like, we all try and steal some scraps of gear, like after games to have oh some God. memento or whatever out of it. So, but again, for me, like I was just, I loved, I loved it. Like I loved the, players. I love the team. I love the environment. Like, um, it's definitely, obviously you see it now and it's like massively professionalized in Ireland, but I think coming out of the situation and like, just kind of how abusive I would say the situation I came out of was in Canada, like changing tracksuits in a toilet wasn't the biggest, <laughs> like I, I kind of maybe had a different like perspective to all the other players, but at the same time, like was so happy to see them stand up in 2017 and, um, and like do something about, you know, say something that it wasn't acceptable, you know, like, I think it's just my level of sort of like what I had had, like my standards maybe weren't so high, like, <laughs> but I mean, at the end of the day, for me, it was like, what's the environment like in terms of just like, how am I treated as like a player on the field? And I think that part of it, I enjoyed a lot and I enjoyed my teammates and I enjoyed like playing in front of my family in Ireland, but they just got the equal pay thing this week. And I think that was off the back of all the you know, the sort of outspokenness that the the players were a few years ago. So that was really good to see. And I mean, I think it's great to see women's soccer is progressing and professionalizing and, you know, all the things, again, you just, you wanted for yourself when you were back in that era. And like, you're so happy to see now for players getting those chances. So it's just crazy to me. Like, <clears throat> like it's very like for myself, it's, it's difficult because we're on the outside looking in kind of thing, but like how women's soccer, like the players just have to fight for everything. It's like, it's, it's insane, like you know, like when this stuff came out about the the Irish team, and like people couldn't believe that that was actually happening. That like you know, that, like nobody knew about it until somebody came out and said something. And as you mentioned, like the, the equal pay thing, and it's a great step forward. But I think it's off the back of like great people coming forward and having the guts to stand up. Like so, like has it always been that way? Like for you too, like you've had to fight every step of the way. Like it, it's it's just such a it's it's horrible like look like and it, it, i like for me like i'm not i'm not a professional footballer i never was but you know you see the men's game and you have to talk to some of them and they have gripes about stuff but i mean like jesus like you guys have just like had yeah. to, to fight for everything so what was it like for you like going through the system um you know i think it was really interesting you know like when was it phil neville was the head coach of the women for yeah. england and like you know there was things like, I, I just remember there was quotes at the time when he had sort of first joined the squad and was like experiencing women's soccer for the first time. And obviously coming off the back of being a pro at Man U and like England and, you know, the best of the best of everything. And like, it was almost hilarious, like watching him verbalize how horrified he was. And, and at that point, even like with England, I think like they'd come quite a long ways from where they had been. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it was almost kind of like welcome to the dark side. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're one yeah, of us no, now. <laughs> I mean, it, it was a struggle. Like, it, I mean, you know, and, and I think 
on one hand, like what was, what was really cool about it when I look back is just like the purity of like the love for the game. You know, like I, I had a friend that was a professional hockey player in, in Europe. And at one point I went to visit him and, and, you know, and anyways, we we're just chatting about like women's soccer and how much we got paid. And this was like 2006 ish. And I remember when I said like, yeah, like we don't get paid really any, you know, I have my team in Denmark if I'm signed or, you know, whatever, but yeah, we're not really getting paid anything. And I remember him, he was like, well, like, what are you doing it for then? You know, like he was just so mystified as to, but like, not in like a mean way, but just almost in a, like, couldn't fathom the fact that like, we were putting all this effort and energy in and we weren't getting paid. But on the flip side of it, like there was just this like massive purity towards it because you had all these women like in their twenties that were, you know, massively smart and educated and master's degrees and could have gotten any job that they wanted. But like, we chose to spend our afternoons, like, you know, just playing on dirt, you know, fields or whatever, like muddy fields in Vancouver, beating the crap out of each other, trying to get better, you know, and, and it was, just, I don't know, it was just such a like awesome part of like that part of it was really, really cool. But then, yeah, like it was super taxing, like emotionally and mentally. And I always, you know, again, like I was injured all the time and looking back, I'm like, you know, was part of it just a stress of just trying to keep afloat as a female player, you know, like, and I've had friends that have retired in recent years that are younger than I am. And like, you know, I, I think there's just like, like it is, it's, it's, it's changing slowly. And I think for like a tiny percentage of players, but like for so many, like you're so vulnerable in terms of like, people don't speak up because you can just get turfed at any time. And, you know, it's not like a men's player that they get treated like crap, but they're sitting on millions and they're just going to go and quit or go to another team or get another opportunity. Like there's, it, it, it's, you're so vulnerable. And I, I think that that part of it, like, again, even for me, like, I never bought anything because every penny I had was like going towards physio or, you know, because we'd be given these crap student physios that, you know, and we're dealing with like complex professional soccer injuries. So like I'd spend every dime I had going to proper physios. Yeah. I actually, this is ridiculous, but um, like when I lived in Norway, I, there was a, a guy in Limerick, actually my, my friend, Mary Curtin that I played with Ireland with um, it was like her special guru guy that like was just amazing <laughs> with like, physio massage whatever and I literally like we'd have two days off in Norway and I'd buy my Ryanair ticket to fly to Cork for Mari to pick me up to drive me to the guy anyways it was like but it was all in the name of like being healthy enough to play you know so it was definitely like yeah so I mean I think I I mean I have tons and tons of stories like another funny story I always tell is like I played in Norway on a team um, that had like Ada Hageberg, who was like the Belanda or winner. Like she played when, when, when she was only 14. And I remember like thinking I should quit soccer soon. If like, this is what 14 year olds were like starting to look like. And obviously she went on to be like the best player in the world. So that made me feel a little bit better, but um, you know, we played on that, that team that year, we had like an amazing roster of players that were all kind of like breaking out. Um, like a lot of players went on to play for like Leon in France and um, like Norwegian national team and whatever, but me and the two British girls on the team, like we literally snuck on the train to practice every single day. And we used to laugh, like Norwegians were so trusting that there was like the car you go in if you had paid. <laughs> so like oh we didn't have enough money to pay for the oh ticket. We just, we just rode that train every day, hoping we didn't get caught for like a year and a half. <laughs> Um, you know, and we were the best, we were the best team in Norway for like a good part of that season. And I think the Beyonce song, like if, if I were a boy, like anyways, you'd like, you'd like just make up like lyrics that were relevant to being female players as we were all like stowaways on this train to practice. Um, but like we, you know what I mean? Like we were not making enough money that we could have afforded like a train pass and I don't know what we would have done. So anyways, it's just like stuff like that, that like, it's almost like war stories at this point, like that are pretty funny and and whatever but yeah but for sure when I when I finished playing it was like all of a sudden it was like all this like empty space in my brain where I was like I wasn't stressed about being injured or stressed about how to pay for this or stressed about you know like you know starting or not starting or how you know just all the things that I feel like I was just a like a ball of anxiety for like 10 years you know (laughs) I feel like you're going to step off a plane in Norway one day and it's going to be like this, a ticket inspector just waiting yeah. for you going, you owe us well, this much. <laughs> no, I swear to God, it was like right when I was leaving Oslo was when they started to check the tickets on that train and I was like, and it's fault. perfect timing, I'm out of here. It's because of you. Yeah, probably. So, they were like, they were like, the numbers aren't matching the number of people in this train. Yeah. So, so, so as you mentioned, like the, the FBI has 
like it's great that they equal pay for the men and women's uh, senior team. Um, it's not like that everywhere, especially for t- like some of the top tier teams. Like I mean, in the states you have the uh, the lawsuit happening to, to for equal pay. The fact that like that team has to go to a court to win like equal pay, considering that like they're a phenomenon. So what what's the situation with the Canadians women team in comparison to the men's? Is it is that not equal either? Is it, it like especially considering they just come off the back of an Olympic gold? So it's actually really important to note with the Irish team that the reason why it's equal pay is because the men's players gave up some of their pay to even it out. So it's not like the FAI decided equality was a, you know, a thing. And like, that's at least what I've read is that it was the men's players. And there was like a pretty awesome quote by the men's captain for Ireland saying that like, you know, we're all in this together and we, you know, we're going to stand up for the women and fight for equality too. But that was, that is a main thing that the FAI, they didn't, it wasn't like they topped the coffers for the women to match the men. The men gave up some of their salary. That doesn't sound like the FAI at all, to be honest. They're usually like, (laughs) they're usually like amazing at this stuff, right? Like they're not the PR disaster whatsoever. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, no, not at all. They're, they're a beacon of light. with um as as to be honest unfortunately most fa or yeah most fas are but um i actually to be to be dead honest with you like i don't really know like the i don't know what's going on from the canadian women's side of things actually like well enough to say anything about it i i don't know anything in terms of um yeah i i don't know anything i i mean i think that um yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think again, like, I, I don't know if, you know, again, obviously COVID kind of put everything on ice in terms of teams playing matches at home. And I'm sure that drives revenue towards players and that kind of thing, but I don't know anything on the Canadian side. Oh, that's fair enough. Um, so you're, you're on the board of the uh, Canadian uh, PFA. Um, yeah. So, so like what's, what, what does your role entail? Like what, as a board member, like what, um, what, 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 what is your actual role and, are we any closer to the CPL recognizing the union, which is obviously the big thing right now? Um, yeah, so it's actually, it's kind of been interesting for me because I think a lot of, obviously, like the PFA can came into sort of existence off the backs of the CPL. Um, so I think from that standpoint, um, yeah, a lot of the, I guess, conversations or the things, you know, that are happening right now are kind of relevant to the CPL. And I, I don't follow men's soccer at all. So it's sort of been a little bit of a, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Am I allowed to say that? But no, of course uh, you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, but but so like I I yeah I so I've had to kind of catch up and like educate myself as to like everything that's going on and just kind of you know people have been nice enough within the PFA can to like explain all the backstories of everything going on. So um, yeah, I mean I, I think like it, to me it's just like I don't understand why like leagues wouldn't want to like again coming from the standpoint of being a player like people aren't asking for million dollar contracts. Do you know what I mean? It's like just a little bit of like basic security and and all that kind of stuff. I think, um, yeah, from what I understand, I think things are moving in a direction where I think at some point it's going to have to be like recognized in some capacity, whether it's a fight to do so, or like they willingly decide to sort of like jump on board and, and recognize the PFA can. Um, I think that that point from, again, what I understand is sort of the point up for discussion in terms of like what it's actually going to take and how long it's going to take. But from what I understand, I think things are moving in a positive um, direction. And um, yeah, like I think, I guess for me, like what I see my role in it being is, um, you know, I, I think again, sort of like Ireland was a great example of like the men stepping up to push the women forward. And I think like you know, I've sort of been on a bit of a Twitter rampage last I noticed. <laughs> little while, like, you know, but it's just, to me, it's like, it was actually really funny because, um, I was on this course, um, this FIF pro future, whatever leaders of, um, leaders in soccer that are women, whatever. So it was like women from all over the world. And Diana Matheson from the women's national team was actually on it with me, the two of us. And, um, you know, and when we told the other women on the course that Canada doesn't have any kind of a national league, like, I don't know, by the end of it, the girls from Guatemala and Uruguay were like, well, we feel a little bit better about like, you know, if Canada, like Canada is supposed to be this like forward nation of like, you guys don't have a league. Like we thought we had it that, you know, so it's like, so to me, honestly, it's embarrassing. Like it's, it is embarrassing that like, you know, 
it's embarrassing that we don't have a women's league in Canada that like that there's honestly less opportunities for girls now, 15 years after I was 25, like that the whole world seems to have like, you know, gone leaps and bounds forward in women's soccer. We're obviously doing an incredible job performing on the international stage, but like, that's great for those 18 players getting those resources, but like on ground zero for everybody else, like there, it's just, it's, it's, we are so far behind and um, you know, so I think for me being on the CPR on the PFA can board, like, I think I hope to be like a voice on the women's side and like, you know, again, sort of giving that perspective that again, we all don't know what we don't know, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. like, I obviously have lived experience as a female pro player, like not on the national team and on that cusp and like all the different vulnerabilities, like economic, social, like all those things that when you're at that, you know, when you're not the top you know, person on the team or whatever that those people face. So, um, you know, I think the odd time that I have shared whatever with the guys on the board, like, I think, you know, they're, they're surprised or, um, you know, again, not that they would need to know, or I'd expect them to know because they obviously haven't lived as a female player, but, um, so I think from that perspective, like that's where I think hopefully, um, yeah, like that eventually again, obviously now getting the board or getting PFA can recognize by the CPL is like the first step. And then I would hope that, you know, once that kind of gets done and that gets solidified and, and, um, a little more stabilized, like, I think, I hope that that, again, we move to sort of have a voice to, you know, cause it's one thing for female players to ask for a league. It's a whole other thing. If like everybody else comes together and says that this is ridiculous. And I don't know, I like, sometimes I, I, I feel like, am I crazy? Like, you know, for saying just basic gender equity, if men have a league in Canada, like why don't we have a women's league, you know? And, um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that that's why I've gotten involved just to provide that sort of female perspective on the board, but everybody, honestly, I have to say that like everyone on the board, like, all, like all the guys and, and the leadership and everybody has been like amazing. And they also are totally behind it. So hopefully like once the, once we get recognized, um, by CPL, like we can start moving into sort of like more avenues for female players to get involved. I think like myself, um, I'm obviously a fan of the CPL and I'm a Wanderers fan, but like, look, just looking at it objectively, like to me, it's crazy. Like they're like, the, all the fans are pretty much behind the supporters groups. Um, like we go and see these guys every week and we just want to make sure that they have some sort of security for themselves. And I think it's a disaster for the league, the way they're, they're the way they're carrying on about, and they're almost just like trying to, like, like hope it goes away and it's not going to go away because as more as the league grows and they're talking about like uh, expanding and expansion fees and uh, bringing new clubs in, that's more players are going to come to play in Canada. And at the end of the day, like everybody needs security. Like it's, I, I feel like it's almost like the, the clubs look at this as, as it's, it's a privilege for them to play for the club. And they're lucky that they have a career rather than the fact of like that, the players are the ones who are providing a product for them to make money eventually. Right. And I just, I, I hope to God that like they see sense and like, just recognize it. Um, that's my like little two cents on it. Um, <laughs> but before, before yourself though, like, like there's, there's just talking about a women's league here in Canada. Like, I mean, there's a, there's a, a campaign in Toronto to get a NWSL team franchise in Toronto, which I think is the wrong way to go. Um, so like, do, do you think there's the appetite here in Canada for women's league because like i think a lot of people when they think of north american soccer they're always just looking to the states and um, like do you think yourself there is the appetite here for it well like i hate to say it but as a player like you know my experience anyways is that like again when you're when you're playing in the u.s league like the states does soccer like they i mean they do things on a bigger more professional like whatever kind of level and I hate to say it but like when I think of like you know the I mean I remember even a few years ago they blocked teams from Ontario and from Quebec from joining the W uh the UWS that this women's league in the states right and I like when I played in um like it was W league back in the day like in the like you know the 2000s um like again we were playing against the U.S. and the competition was great and like you know, there was like, you were traveling and all that kind of stuff. And again, it wasn't professional, but it was as like, as a, you know, a summer league kind of gig, like it was a great sort of setup. And I think like, you know, I, I think that again, like it, so they, they, a few years ago, like cut it off, said that, you know, you weren't allowed to, to play or whatever in the States that you had to stay in, in like in the leagues in 
Ontario and Quebec or whatever. And then, you know, I, I know girls then that like want to play, like they, they, you know, they're done university. They've had a great university career. They want to continue playing. And now they're forced into this like Canadian like league or whatever. And, and like they said, it's like, it's not professional. It's like, you don't know who's going to show up to practice, you know, half the team's gone somewhere in the summer. So they're pulling up all these 15 year olds, like, like, again, just totally not done professionally. So like, you know, again, like I just, like, it, it's, it's just very frustrating. And, and I think I understand why there's the mindset to be like, all right, like, let's try to get a Canadian team in the NWSL, because I just think that like, we don't have leadership in this country, <laughs> like, or the leadership that we have is inept. And I, you know, probably I'm not, not the first controversial <laughs> statement I've made and probably not the last, but I'm sorry. Like it is like, it's, it's, and, and it almost feels sometimes like it's almost like hindering women's soccer, like in terms of, a, you know, a broader growth of it. Again, take the national team and Olympic medals and all that type of thing out of it. Cause that's again, 18 players that it's that there's a positive opportunity on, which is great and awesome and, and all that kind of thing. But like looking at it as a broad base across the country, like all the girls graduating from university, like I'm talking to those players all the time because those coaches are, you know, the university coaches from my job, like I know everybody. And so, you know, when anyone, when anyone wants to play overseas and they're not like a big star, like again, that everyone's saying, Oh, call Kira, blah, blah, blah. So you have these conversations. And, and so from that standpoint, like, I think, you know, for me, like, I just want those girls to have a professional environment. And so whether that's like NWSL, you know, like, like I just, there needs to be something. And I just, I'm, I'm sick of waiting around. And, and I think like, there is a bit of a vibe that like, if it's a Canadian only league, that it's like not going to be done properly. Because I think even again, like look at the resistance that the CPL is putting against the male like players. And, and it's just like, you don't have a league without the players. So why? And, and, and like, wouldn't they're your product They're They're what, like, if, if they're being taken care of, it's going to be a better product. So why, why would you be fighting it as opposed to like, like wanting to grow it. You know what I mean? And I, I don't understand, like, I feel like sometimes there's like a piece that I'm missing of the puzzle that I'm like, I don't get like, because even from a business standpoint, like it doesn't make sense to like, just doesn't make sense to me. Like why we haven't been able to get something off the ground here. Like, it's just like, again, I, I, I don't understand it. And, and like I said, at this point on the women's side, like, I just want there to be opportunity, like professional opportunities for the girls, like not this like Mickey mouse, like nonsense just to whatever keep things in Canada like if it's if it's a choice between professionalizing things or keeping things in Canada and and if it's not going to be done properly in Canada then yeah if the, if the only way to do it is to go through the NWSL then so be it you know I, f- I find like like the one thing I think the CPL has taught is that there's an incredible amount of talent in Canada and absolutely like and, and absolutely and if you look at like a lot of these the, the guys like there's just kids like Max Ferrari uh Elijah Halley like there's there's these kind of kids that are like probably would never have got a chance like they probably would have been in TSE's academy for a season been sent adrift and then never to be seen again because they just grow disillusioned with it right and now they've got an opportunity to showcase their talents and I, I, I definitely think that Canada like especially on the back of the goodwill behind the Olympic team is like missing a huge opportunity to set up a proper league because like the CPL it works. It's going to take time, and I, I like people have to give stuff a chance. And I really think that the the Canadian women's team could be so much better if. Well, I mean, look at like honestly, like I think the the most perfect example of what the talent we're missing and like losing in this country on the women's side, at least, is Vanessa Giles. Like, like in my opinion, like she was a difference maker in terms of like you know, a player that got them over that, like the hump to get the gold, like she was phenomenal, but like, she was never on a national team. She graduated from like, you know, university in the States, got a contract in Cyprus, did well, like, you know, got her way to France. And, and like, again, like a lot of that is luck too, right? Like getting into a good situation and then a opportunity opening up in a country that you're actually like competing at the top league and the top level. And you know what I mean? And then like, look at what she did with like off of like eight caps or something. She's like starting and playing every minute leading like a total leading player Canada to goal you know and, and that and that's the thing like how many players like her are out there do you know what I mean and and um absolutely like that's that's the thing that I I mean yeah like I again like I said I don't understand why there just hasn't been I just honestly think that soccer at the high like in the leadership positions in this country are so dysfunctional and 
Yeah. I mean, even look at like everything that happened in 2008 was our situation and the fact that Canada soccer never has even addressed it. And the same people that were making decisions that allowed somebody back in that had been charged with sexual misconduct, like everyone's still there. And like, you know, so it's just kind of like, what's it going to take to change? And, and I guess for me, on a personal level, I'm just like, okay, I'm sick of fighting resistance of things. Like where's, where's the easiest pathway that's going to allow the most opportunities for players. And like, let's put our energy that way. And if, you know, whatever, hopefully at some point people that are like, you know, holding the game back in this country become irrelevant because there's so much positive, good stuff and opportunities going on. And I think, like you said, like whether it's the CPL players getting chances there and proving like that they're actually great players and enjoying the game and getting to play at that level or on the women's side, like, you know, players like Vanessa Gillies getting a chance with Canada and doing amazing. Like, you know, those are the sorts of, I guess, doors you want to just start focusing on opening and forget about the rest, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, it's horrible to hear that. Like you want to take the the road of like least resistance and just, you know, take the easy route when, you know, the easy route should be for the, the team to be really good and for people to play the game because at the end of the day like we're all football fans we all love the game and like it, it's a great sport and it's never going to grow and it's like unless like people like actually see the good in it and it's like if if people look at you know like um christine sinclair and all that kind of stuff and she's away playing in the states they're never going to have that kind of thing of like i can be like her too you know what i mean because it's like that's i think that's like i mean when, when a kid when a kid goes to york united and sees max ferrari playing like it's like hey i might actually have a chance to play in canada and it's like it's that like little spark that will probably make kids go and play the game um and that's i think what we're missing here like in the women's game is it's something that definitely needs to change um so yeah, I, but that's why on that note though that's why i don't like i what i meant by least resistance is like if it's an nwsl franchise like i don't think that it's the wrong move because at the same at the same time like whether they're playing in a u.s league or a canadian league what matters is that like players are playing in front of canadian kids and in canadian cities so you know again if 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 whatever powers that be can't get that together in Canada. If the only option is to do NWSL, like, I don't think it's a bad Avenue, you know, like the point is, is to get some kind of opportunity in Canada for Canadian female players, you know, I I totally understand like that. And that's, that's very, very true. It's like, it's, it's getting the opportunity for, for people to go and see the games. That's the main thing. So like you kind of mentioned there about like the, uh, what's happened in 2008 and all that kind of, that, that kind of stuff. And, um you you retweeted something there from iceland which i thought was very interesting that the 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 federation board like stepped down after there was a bit of a cover-up in there and i I think that um iceland's a very progressive country and it's really good when it comes to that kind of stuff that like you know as soon as the cover-up was kind of brought out like they were forced out the door so like why did that not happen in Canada? Like, I, like I, I don't like, you know, like you were, unfortunately you were the one that had to be the, the whistleblower, which I think is an awful phrase to use for you because I mean, like it, it took a lot of courage because like, I mean, it, it, it probably damaged your own career by, by, by coming forward and, and saying the stuff that you did. So like, so why did that not happen in Canada? Why, why did the big cover up? Um, you know, I, I think again, like there's, you know, again, in Iceland, when it came out, there was like societal pressure that pushed them all to go down, you know, to, to leave. And I think like, I think part of the problem is, I don't know, like I, as an example, Victor Montagliani, like again, was a director of national teams in 2008 when there was the cover up and the coach was let go for sexual misconduct and they announced it as mutual parting of ways and he was allowed back and they didn't investigate it and basically just threw him back into, you know, the kids, you know, that were coming up and stuff. Um, you know, and, and so, I mean, again, it's all come out now. So everybody knows like what, what, what's happened and stuff. And, um, you know, but then like you see Victor Montagliani is now the head of CONCACAF. He was a director of national teams that directly oversaw the cover-up. He's a vice president of FIFA, head of CONCACAF. But then you see him on a panel with like Karina LeBlanc and Bev Priestman. You know what I mean? And and yeah. so like that's, again, you kind of need people like, like, like don't appear on a panel with somebody that's done that. Like, and if, if people said no to those sorts of opportunities that like based on the fact of like, you know, his history or whatever, then that starts to force things. Right. But instead, like everybody just appears on the panels and it's a, you know, and and there's almost like a collective, like, yeah, there's like a collective, you know, turning an eye or, or like making a blind, I don't even, I'm so bad at like, but yeah, having a, like turning a blind eye to like, 
like that, like the what's gone on and the fact that like he's still there and that's still very violating for a lot of people that experienced what he did. Do you know what I mean? And the and the cover up, and I can say from experience, like experiencing living through a cover up and trying to like tell every single person and nobody doing anything like that's as damaging, you know, and, and like when I think about it and when I get upset about it, like that's the part to me, forget about my soccer career. Like I don't, you know, yeah, did, did it affect like myself and other people? Like, again, it's a subjective sport. Who knows? I don't care at this point. Like, but it's, it's the 10 years afterwards when we were trying to like say something and he was out there and we knew that it wasn't right. And, and, you know, and then it results in like, if, you know, I am, I am the quote unquote whistleblower. And then, you know, a, a year later he's charged with like nine sex crimes or whatever. And that's what we were fighting for 10 years just to have someone to listen to us. Like, like that's again, like there's a collective I don't know, like, like a place like Iceland, I think there's like a, there's a societal sort of, um, what's the word, like integrity, you know, like there's yeah. a, and I, and I hate to say it, but like, I mean, everyone on a collective level, like no one, people don't say, no, we're not going to sit on a board, like on a panel with you talking about, you know, putting women forward in soccer, you know, media is like going to push on him to say like, well, we're not going to report anything unless this is dealt with, like, you know, but, but no one forces the issue. And so like, that's the thing. It just, it, it, it's just, yeah, it, everybody carries on a status quo. And, and again, like, I mean, to be honest with the whole situation, the fact that it even got pushed forward into the, the level that it did was all off the backs of the Whitecaps fans. Do you know what I mean? And, and like that is such a unique thing, but like that in and of itself was such a healing thing to like, you know, again, because the worst part when you're going through something like this is like how you're silenced and how you feel voiceless and you feel so little and, and all that kind of stuff. And so to sort of have a group of people take it upon themselves to like make our voices heard, like, um, you know, I think that that was, again, for me, like, that's what I choose to focus on, on the situation. But I just think there's like a collective lack of integrity in our whole system. Like, like that's allowing us not to have a women's pro league. That's allowing Victor Montagliani to still be the head of CONCACAF and FIFA to have, you know, Peter Montopoli and everybody that was involved with Canada soccer back then still running the show now. Like, you know, like those are all things that if there was a collective, you know, people thought about if, the, if this is their daughter or their, you know, sister or wife or whatever that was in that position, if they would be as sort of laissez-faire about the whole thing, they probably wouldn't be, you know, but unfortunately, Iceland's a different society to ours in the sense that they actually have a collective sense of responsibility and high standards. And I just don't think, unfortunately, we have that. Well, like, uh, uh, coming from Ireland, we, like, we invented the art of the cover-up, so, like, we, uh, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 it, it, it's, like, it's so funny, like, I read your blog, and it's, it's fantastic, and I'll put a link to it, because it's, it's an incredible read, Um, it, it's so similar to what happened in Ireland, when, uh, with, with the, the priest the scandals, and then, all, um, with coaches, the same kind of thing, it's just, like, people came forward, and it's like the victims were victimized again, because they just, we're never believed you know and, and like so like like for you like I mean you've had like you were kind of like a, a sounding board for an awful lot of people who were going through these issues with, with, with this guy like like how frustrating was it for you that you know you, you you met with the president of the Whitecaps like when the biggest one of the biggest soccer organizations in Canada and it's just like whitewashed and like he carried on for another about 10 years or something and uh, now he's still a liaison or wherever at the club so I mean like what was it like for you like that these people who had the brave, who, who wanted to be brave and come forward were just being ignored. What was it? What was it like? It was awful. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was, it was really hard. And, and I think like, I've obviously, I feel like in a really positive way since the, like I wrote the blog, like it's almost like the, it's almost like the before and the after. Um, sorry. I still get upset. Talking oh, about it's it, totally but- understandable. But it, yeah, it was, it was, it was very dark. It was very hard. Um, when it was all going on, it felt like, you know, you were hot, like everything I described before about what it was like to be a female player. And you're just, you're playing for your passion of the game and like these like really idealistic desires and you're naive and you're young and, you know, you just love to play. And then, yeah, you, you, you come up with against a, a person and a coach like that. And, and then, you know, again, you push enough to get like it heard that like this guy is, you know, doing these things or whatever. And then, you know, and then, like I said, to just sort of see and realize that it was like, you know, it was, it was the police should have been called, but then, you know, they made us feel like this is an investigation and it was being handled properly. And then you see for 10 years, you know, just everybody carrying on. And this is, you know, it was, like I said, like, like, 
a lot of things that I was going through, like it was a really dark 10 years. And, and I think, like I said, like, you know, it's so wrong. And it's almost like, I think the term gaslighting has been starting to get like thrown all over. Like it literally was like getting gaslit for like 11 years where you're like, this is such a serious situation. And like, we're telling people and the actions are not matching the seriousness. And you almost start to doubt, like, am I going crazy that this is such a wrong situation? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, yeah. and, um, you know, and then, and then again, just like the light that Sean and like, just again, how healing the whole thing was like when, when, finally, like, you know, again, like I wrote the blog and then all of a sudden everyone's like, like, you know, even just reading the Twitter responses, the night I wrote the blog and everyone's saying, holy crap, like, this is horrifying. I can't believe this. Like, you know, and you're like, finally, like, like it's taken like 11 years for like the reaction to match what you felt like it was and what you knew it was, but like, you know, and then, and then, like I said, and then, and then, but then you're experiencing again, like the, the power of these organizations where they're just like putting out these BS corporate statements and, and they don't care about like any of anything that's gone on or, and, you know, and then, and then to have the white caps fans, like, you know, rise up and say like, this isn't good. Like it just, that in and of itself was like so healing. And it was like so much for me anyways, that like really did so much to repair, like so much of the damage that was done. And I think, you know, at least for me now, like I just, like I have friends that like someone tweeted something the other day about how he had come across a friend of a friend was a former player of Bob Barda, who I don't know who it was, but he just said how like she had quit soccer because of him and she, you know, whatever feels like he should be strung up. And, you know, I, like, I just, I know from people that I know, like there, there's so much carnage from like that period of time with him as the coach and then the aftermath and how it was dealt with and stuff. And so, you know, I think for me, like, I, I just, I've had like COVID was a great year for me in the sense of just having a chance of like a really quiet time to like reflect on all of it. And, and, you know, now for me, like, I feel like I've gotten through the darkness and I've been lucky enough to feel like, you know, I've had a lot of healing through like, you know, again, like what the Whitecaps fans did and just feeling like hurt. And, you know, for me, like, I almost feel like I have, like, I always was so energetic and idealistic and wanting to do things to make things better and whatever. And, and I feel like I lost that for the like, 11 years, it was like a really dark place that I was in. And, and so like, I'm just so grateful. Um, yeah, like I'm just so grateful now to be back in like a good headspace. And like, I just feel like, again, like I, I, I know a lot of people in the abuse and sports space now that like, you know, it is really hard for them. And, and I feel like I have like my old self back and like my strength back. And so, yeah, like, like again, and, and the thing for me is like, I was never sexually harassed or like, you know, I was just a person that was like seeing like, or, you know, at, at, at that point, like I wasn't, I was experiencing the bullying. And then after the fact, you know, after 2008, knowing what had happened on, you know, that it, it had turned sort of on a sexual misconduct front, like, you know, but, and then knowing the aftermath that like it was being covered up, like that was so damaging. And so, you know, you just, you know, that like these situations go on all around and, and it's not even just what's happening to like the, the people being individually victimized, but like everyone's being victimized by having to like be in these environments and see these things go on and be silenced and all that kind of thing. So I'm just really grateful that I've like gotten through it. And I feel like, yeah, like I, I just feel so motivated to make things better, like on every front for like, you know, not just female players, but like male players, everybody, like I just like soccer is such a great thing when it's like operating at its highest level. And I think like, I just, you know, I, I have my moments of my career that I remember having amazing coaches and amazing experiences and like everybody deserves that as their like, you know, baseline experience. And so I think for me now, like I'm so motivated moving forward. Yeah. Just to create that for like as many players as I can. That's, that's amazing. Like the, the, the thing for me, like looking at it, um, I don't know if you, you saw there was a, a guy in England, who, he was a coach at Crew Alexander and he had abused kids for years and years and years. And um, he was, Jesus, like, I think he went to the States at one stage and was actually back to the, state, to, to the UK. So the thing with him was, is that like he, he had so much power in his hands because he had people's careers um, that he was able to, you know, like, like if you don't, if you talk up and say something you'll never play professional football and it's like that carrot that's dangled in front of you so like looking now because it seems the similarity is with, with, with the guy at the at the white caps so that he had that same power over people's careers and and like you know if you if you say anything we're, i'm gonna bust you down and you're out, out of the game so has anything been addressed to take that much power out of people's hands like in, in canada or like is it just like they've literally removed one person out of the equation and everything's just kind of carried on 
the way it was. I mean, I think the part that I find the most disturbing, and I think anybody that's been outside of the country and like knows how a normal soccer system operates, like even the fact that it's Whitecaps Rex, like that they're like Rex is directly on the pathway above the clubs to the national team, and like a like a club team is in that pathway, like that to me again, like that that's exactly the the kind of environment and like setup that caused the whole issue in the first place and again like it's all the same like cast of characters at the white caps that covered up our situation in 2008 and covered up the boys in 2017 so you know with that being said like like that to me is like what i find disturbing in what hasn't changed in the situation that like literally those same people are in charge of the pathway so yeah, I mean, I, I think the one thing that all of this sort of attention that like the situation like in 2019 with the blog and the like white caps, the, the protests and everything that went on with the team, like, I don't think that like, you know, I, I just I hope in the future, like I think if someone was in our situation, like I don't think that I think people are a lot smarter now. I think parents are a lot smarter. I think, you know, I think there's been a lot of like there's been a shift in media over the last couple of years of like, you know, even Simone Biles, like stepping out of the Olympics or Naomi Osaka saying that she's not going to play the French open. Like, I think before it was always like, you know, athletes are, whether you're Simone Biles or you're like Joe Schmo trying to make the national team, like you're just so lucky to be there kind of thing. And I think that like, from what I can see anyways, like, I think that that dynamic is starting to get taken away a little bit and the power that it's like, you know, your entire sense of self-worth is off of making this team or winning this championship or whatever. And like mental health and like well-being and all that kind of stuff is starting to like come to the forefront. And I think like even in the NWSL, like the women's league in the States, um, you know, there's been stories like uh, the Richie Burke, who was the head coach of the Washington spirit. Like, you know, it came out like a month ago that he was verbally abusive towards players and players stood up and said something. So like, I think that in that sense, like, I think, that's starting to give players a little bit more power that it's like not as you know when I wrote the blog in 2019 like it was it felt like the most like scary wild you know like they just you know and I I hope that like the next person that comes along that's had something happen to them like I hope I don't think it's hopefully going to be as big of a thing or or they they know there's people like me that's been through it that they can call and get guidance and support from you know like um you know so from that standpoint I think you know, I, I think again, it's, it's humans and humans with power are always going to do crappy things, unfortunately. So I think it's just trying to like educate, you know, players as much as possible and, and just give them avenues to be able to have a voice if something happens. Yeah. I mean, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's like, I think that's the biggest message from the whole thing is that it's not okay, like f- for stuff like this to happen to you and it's not normal and people shouldn't have this control over you. And, you know, like I, I I've, my wife just gave birth to, uh, to, to twins and, like, oh congrats yeah thanks but but for me it's like obviously like I want them to play football but I want to know that when they go to play that you know like the coaches have been proper properly vetted that something like this doesn't happen to them and god forbid if it ever did that they wouldn't be afraid to say something to me like that you know like, like that I want to and it's from people like you and like the people who who came to you like and had their stories like it's off the backs of them that I'm able to talk to my kids and say because a lot of times you wouldn't know, like people just don't, right. don't know this stuff happens and it's, it takes, 100%. and it just takes the bravery and, and stuff like that. And like these people, like, like it's incredible. And like uh, the, the, your blog post is, is amazing. And I think anybody who, uh, who has any interest in Canadian soccer really should read it and see what, what's behind the spin and what's behind the, the sports nets and the TSNs and all that kind of stuff that the people going through day-to-day stuff, it's, it's, it's not all roses. So like, thank you so much for, for doing that. Um, so I know that you yourself, uh, you have uh, like top soccer is, um, so that's where you help people get scholarships. And then you also have uh, girls can soccer, which is a great name, by the way. Uh, so can you just tell us a little bit about them and uh, how people can uh, find out about the programs and, and stuff like that? Yeah. So I think again, like when I kind of looked back on even like something like top soccer, like, I think it was almost like a therapeutic thing for me (laughs) to try to like create like avenues for players and opportunities for players that again, like gave them the power because obviously the more that their pathway, the wider the pathway is, the less power people within it have kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that since 2016, um 2019 we did the boys for the first time I did the girls in the beginning um but yeah we're we just had actually a huge week um 
yeah, we had a thousand kids from across wow. Canada. Yeah, it was it, it honestly, I've been in front of a spreadsheet the whole summer, but um, we basically the kids have, you know, they haven't had a chance to get recruited or none of that's been going on, obviously, through COVID. So um, just sort of on a hope and a prayer, like throughout the dates for the end of August and hope that things would be sort of back to normal enough that the kids would be out on the fields again. And, and we were very lucky and they were. And so, yeah, we had about 500 kids in Vancouver and 500 kids in Ontario, um, tons of university coaches out. And so, um, yeah, so that's kind of, that's a huge part of what I do. That's aimed towards, you know, boys and girls, grade nine to grade 12 that want to play in university. And, you know, a lot of it, you know, again, is just sort of putting people in front of them that have walked the path. Like we had um, Evan Lipke, who's a captain of University of Victoria and Annie Uliak, who's a captain of Bishops um, in Quebec. And they both did seminars talking to the kids about their journeys and they're both incredible people. And so I think, again, like part of, I, I just want to give the kids like the best possible experience. And, and um, yeah, so that's pretty much what Top Soccer, that's what that's focused on is, um, again, just giving, connecting you know, youth players with the university level and, and hopefully helping them sort of have a, a pathway and a springboard to accomplish what they want to accomplish. And then with girls can, that was something I started like 2001 or two, like where there was just a lack of female coaches that I saw even back then. And so that was sort of, um, the whole program was based off of like female coaches, coaching girls, but, um, just as I was like playing overseas and all that kind of stuff that kind of got harder to, to do and manage. So the brand's kind of sitting idle for now, but, um, top soccer is kind of what I'm focusing on, um, at the minute and it's keeping me pretty busy. So, yeah. <laughs> That's it sounds like an incredible week. Um yeah, it's uh, like uh, you can just like when you're talking to you and like you're talking about it, you can just hear the passion for the game come through your voice. And it's like like Canada Canada soccer is so lucky to have people like you that like are willing to give up their time and um willing to like pass on what you've learned from your, your time playing. It's it's incredible. So um just before I let you go, uh, because I don't like I could literally talk to you all night but I don't want to have a four-hour podcast uh, <laughs> because it's a lot of editing to do um so, so everybody we have on the show we always ask you're going to play in a five-a-side tournament from the players you've played with who makes your team um okay interesting question uh I would say Thora Helgadotter was like a long time uh goalkeeper for Iceland um she's amazing so I think I'd have her in goal um uh, Jody Taylor is another one I was lucky enough to play with who I for years was on a on a bullhorn that she deserved to be playing for England um, and she finally got capped for the first time when she was 30 and then wow. ended up and then ended up winning the golden boot at the Euros in 2013 so I felt like a bit of a genius <laughs> um I actually played with Mila Jednak at a coaching course uh, the Australian captain wow yeah, that's another really funny story, but I think we're running out of time. But I, <laughs> I, I went to this coaching course in Dublin, the UEFA B, and I was only female, and I and I didn't know who anybody was. And basically that night they were talking about um, all these Premiership players being at the course. And anyways, I Mila had played on my team that day, and I thought he was pretty good. Like I didn't, you know, I, and, <laughs> he's alright. Uh, yeah. So then, so then when they said that, like, oh yeah, this guy, this guy, this guy, and Mila Jednak's on the course, I was like, oh, I played with Mila today. Like I thought he was. <laughs> good and they were like Kira is the captain of Crystal Palace in Australia like I think it's a little more than pretty good um so I draft him onto my team just for that reason uh and then um and then actually another another uh funny story but Christina Bunda she was a player that played for Denmark she probably was the best player I ever played with she was a left-footed like super technical midfielder but she also chain smoked and so when I got to Denmark uh, off of like the U.S. you know fitness sort of thing or whatever um you know all of a sudden the first game I like look over as we're checking the pitch out and like she's like smoking a cigarette oh my God. and I was like I honestly was like I was terror stricken and like looking where our coach was and like she was going to get in so much trouble and then I realized quickly that like she chain smoked and nobody cared and you know she was a phenomenal player um and then probably Christine Sinclair because I mean like who, how, how could you say yeah. no to the leading international world gold scorer so yeah she, she, the, she probably like coughed after every goal <laughs> it's like her, yeah. her her signature <laughs> goal celebration was a cough and um, I'm sure uh Mila Jednik is on a podcast somewhere saying that uh Karen McCormick uh, she's yeah, right. right <laughs> super grateful to be getting the nod from the so, 
thank you so much for agreeing to be on the show. It's been so much fun. Um, and it's also been very, very educational. And like, I, I really appreciate it. Like, you're so open about stuff that it's just, it's just a joy to hear. And um, like, thank you for everything you do. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. What are you doing? <laughs> You've been listening to the Down the Pub podcast, recorded in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Head to downthepub.ca to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, cheers.